It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that's what you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have my co-host, Will Mavity. Hello, everybody. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Katie Schaefer. Hello. And for the first time ever on the show, we've been waiting for a couple of weeks to get him on here. You've seen some of his blog posts on nextbestpicture.com. We've got Tom O'Brien, everybody. At last. Hi. Oh, this is great, Tom. We're so, so happy to have you on for the first time. How are you? Oh, I'm really great. I'm really happy to be on here because I've been listening every week. I want to get in on this conversation. So here I am. Well, this is definitely the week to do it because starting this Wednesday with the Venice Film Festival, we officially, 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 and also finally enter into phase one of the 2018 award season. We finally here, people. We're at the start line and the finish line feels very, very far away at the moment, but (laughs) this is it. So... We have a lot to discuss this week in terms of previewing what's going to be going down at Venice, TIFF, and also the mysterious Labor Day festival known as Telluride, which people that are going there still don't know what is actually playing. But part of the conversation for today's episode will be us basically explaining to you what we think is going to show up there. We also have a polls to discuss this week, which are related to the fall film festivals, some trailers to talk about. And I also want to go over some of our current Oscar predictions before the festivals weigh in and we start to figure out what really are contenders and what are not. So first thing I want to start off with on today's episode, Tom, for the last two weeks, we have all discussed our thoughts on the Academy's recent changes, one of which is Best Popular Film, which... If I've heard correctly, we should be getting actually some clarity on within the next week, as I understand they want to start to get this really hashed out before the fall film festivals really, really kick in. So, uh, Tom, I would love to hear your thoughts on these changes and what you ultimately think about them. Gee, what a great idea they had. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the The film I'm most worried about, being affected by this, as you guys have mentioned before, is Black Panther. Uh, the uh, you know the head of the Academy it was uh, quoted at uh, 
so an observer had said that she would crawl into a hole if this change wound up giving a nomination to Black Panther only in Best Popular Film. Uh, it, I, I don't mean to go over uh, everyone's ideas again, but I totally agree. I think to have thrown this out without any kind of explanation or a game plan, it's such a radical change. And, uh, you know, as expanding the uh, uh, years ago to... Uh, uh, indefinite number of best picture nominees was uh, we were unprepared for that enough, but this really leaves us hanging. And uh, I'm not going to hold my breath that we're going to hear get any clarity this week. I think they're scrambling over there, and I'd be really surprised if they can pull out of this uh, and salvage anything out of it um, within the next week or so. It's going to take, I think, a little longer, but we shall see. Yeah, one thing we definitely know for sure is that it's happening. Yeah. Like, no matter how much they might be scrambling, how much confusion there still is up in the air, it's going to happen. And there's nothing that we can do to stop it. The only thing that we can do is, once we know the rules, is really just kind of take it all from there. But one thing is for sure, it's going to be uh, probably the most unique Oscar season that we have ever covered uh, officially a next best picture, but maybe even covered in our lives even because of such a radical change and how that will impact the rest of the season. Well, at least since they increased it to more than five nominees. I mean, that was also a pretty big change. Oh, yeah, sure. And I mean, we didn't really exactly know where that was going to go. Um, the first year, I remember in 09 kind of scrambling to try and figure out what kind of films were actually going to crack that top 10. And I think in the years since then, uh, from 2011 until today, where we have the sliding scale, um, I think it's so much worse. I I hate having to predict, is it going to be seven? Is it going to be eight? Is it going to be nine? I I just, I I, I hate that so much. I'd rather it just go back to a strict 10. And Tom, do you believe that a lot of the reasoning that the Academy has given about the divide between popular entertainment and and the type of films that the Academy traditionally does award, do you feel like that would kind of, I don't want to say fully be solved, but at least there would be a very nice, healthy Band-Aid put on it if they did just go back to a straight 10? Yeah, I, I think I think that would probably be, it would, it would, it would stop the bleeding in terms of public criticism, I think, of, of the Academy. Uh, there is some, there is some, if I can think of any silver lining in this best popular film thing, it would uh, give some films like Crazy Rich Asians a chance for something. Uh, I, I don't know whether they're going to uh, ne- necessarily nominate uh, strict popcorn films, but there have been very, very good movies this year, which have you know have made hundreds of millions of dollars that could qualify that would not. Uh, bring any any shame on the academy. It's just they haven't come up with any explanation that doesn't uh, diss the best picture winner. It really does sound like they're putting all their eggs in this basket, and I I'm concerned about that. Well, I want to divert a little bit because, like I said, the festivals do start this week. I also want to get everybody else's participation involved here as well. I'll start off with you first, though, Tom. Before the festivals actually kick in and we hear what's an Oscar contender, what is not, what are some of your favorite movies so far from this up until this point of the year that you hope to see breakthrough with the Academy in some shape or form? Could be any category. Um, 
I, I would I would be really hoping for a writing nomination for Paul Sh- uh, Schrader for First Reform. And I know it's a long shot, but Ethan Hawke delivers, I think, his best performance ever in that. And uh, uh, that would uh, that was one of my favorites. I'm also hoping for a sound two sound nominations for A Quiet Place. I yeah, cannot, boy. I cannot imagine that movie working without the quality of the sound work in that. It, it was just yeah. absolutely tremendous. And uh, Tony Collette, I know, I know, I'm, I know she's kind of on the bubble, and we really we we haven't seen. Uh, a lot of her potential uh, competitors, but God, what a nervy performance! When someone goes out there on a wire like that, I I, I had my hand over my mouth, not necessarily for the story, but for the performance. It's like, is this going to go out of control? And she never let it get out of control. Um, those are the three that come to mind immediately uh, for uh, uh, what I would love to see in terms of nominations pre-festival. Now, we've got some very interesting movies coming, potential uh, nominees coming up in the festivals, which I know we're going to get to uh, today. So let's get at it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Before we get at it, just some quick breaking news as we're recording this about a four-time Oscar nominee, a four-time Academy Award nominee, and famed playwright Neil Simon passed away this morning. Um, Oh. Oh, no. Oh, shoot. So... For our listeners, I'm sure you've already known that as you're listening to this, but just to break it as we're talking, uh, you know, pretty significant legend in Broadway and on film. So, Well, how am I supposed to now ask everybody about their... How do I move on from that? We could do a little <laughs> poll about him maybe later on. Maybe. Maybe we can. But for now, we'll stick to the plan. Michael, Yeah. films up until this point of the year that you hope people... Critics, Academy, everyone. You just hope they don't forget about them. They don't get lost in the shuffle when these other big fall film festival contenders start weighing in. Yeah, so Tom already talked a little bit about First Reformed, which I really thought was a tremendous film. I would love to see Ethan Hawke crack a Best Actor lineup, and I think he may even be able to do it, honestly. We'll see what happens with critics later on. As for other titles, uh, I know it's floating around somewhere near Best Picture and maybe Screenplay. We wanted it to do a little bit better at the box office in order to break into these upper level upper level categories, but I really want to see good things for eighth grade. Yeah. You know, that's a really tremendous film. I wish it found more of an audience when it went wide, but you know, $10 million isn't terrible. No. So maybe you could do, still do screenplay. I would love to see in my ideal world, best picture and Elsie Fisher for best actress, but you know, I'll take whatever it could get at this point. Just remember Hurt Locker and Moonlight. They were, uh, what less than 10 million when the Oscars rolled around. Yep. Yes, that's true. Katie. Oh gosh, there's there's a lot that I think is, that I loved this year so far that I don't think is going to get any kind of recognition. Um, but I think the top of that list for me is probably Annihilation. I think. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. The special effects involved in that were masterfully done. So much gorgeous but subtle changes. And then, of course, the the craziness that happens at the end and all of that was very affecting for me. And I would love to see, I'd love to see Natalie Portman get something. She won't because it's just not a big enough movie for it. But I think uh, Tessa Thompson would also be in the deserving category for that because I love my girl Tessa Thompson. (laughs) Who doesn't love Tessa Thompson? 
Right. She's just amazing. I will say this about Annihilation. I, I, I have this weird gut feeling that it could show up with one nomination, like a random tech nomination somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. the lone sound editing nominee or something. I, I just, I don't know why, but I feel like that film has a lot of passionate supporters behind it that it could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but eh. I know. I'm whole, I'm crossing my fingers for it. And I also do want to mention um, mm. a doc that I reviewed, Half the Picture. I think yes. that should 100% be up for best doc and should win it. I think it's a uh, very important thing. It's very of the moment. And Amy Adrian, who directed it, is uh, very in it and had a very unique way of shooting it. So I think that should also be recognized. But I don't know if it will be because it was just such an indie thing and it never it hasn't gotten the attention that it needs to get in order to really be there okay will uh so i echo a couple of the ones already mentioned i loved eighth grade and i would love to see the score the screenplay and elsie fisher in contention don't know if they will be but here's to hoping same goes for first reformed uh one i want to throw out there is it looks like it's going to be a very competitive best actress and best supporting actor field this year. But I really want Glenn Close and Jonathan Price from The Wife to be in the conversation. Yeah, That film has plenty of flaws with its writing and some of the other cast members. But Close and Price are so insanely good that by the time the film's climax rolls around... I was on the edge of my seat just because these two masters engaged in an argument that even if the writing is on the nose, feels so earned by the screenplay, um, hands down one of the best scenes of the year. So close is more likely than price, but in a perfect world, they both get in because he's been a consistently great character and not character actor. Uh, just a consistently great actor for decades and has never really gotten the attention he deserves, at least by people who aren't BAFTA. So I really want both of them to show up. Now, Tom, you actually did a piece on – you've been doing pieces actually on all the acting categories. This week we'll actually have uh, you commenting on Best Actor before uh, Venice kicks in. And you know we hear stuff about First Man and A Star is Born for Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper, and a few others along the way. I'm curious to know like, – because two performances from the first half of the year that I would say um, that have a realistic shot of lasting – the whole season are Glenn Close and Tony Collette in Hereditary. And yes. I- I'm curious to know what you think in terms of do you see them both making it? Only one of them? If so, which one? What would you say with that? I think Glenn Close is in, solidly in. She's got a story to tell. Um, you know, it's been so long since, Al- you know, it's been what, six or seven years since Albert Nobbs. But that was never really a contender. This film is being seen, and uh, in, and and it, the focus is on her. Uh, I think she's. I would not worry about close, and I also think she's going to get some um, critics group support as well. Hereditary, I think it's going to be a tougher thing because of genre bias. Uh, yes, there have been there have been. Uh, uh, Ellen Burstyn got nominated for The Exorcist. Uh, Kathy Bates won for Misery, and 
Jodie Foster won her Silence of the Lambs, and as I mentioned in the article, if you consider this horror, and I do, uh, Natalie Portman for Black Swan. But it's Hereditary is a really in-your-face horror film, and uh, what what uh, uh, Colette does is remarkable. Uh, but if you, I, and I, I would hope the actors' branch would be able to divorce itself from not what's going on in the story, but what is going on with Tony Collette. And uh, it's, it's, it's a riveting place. I, I think she's on the bubble right now. A lot of this will depend on um, uh, if someone like Rachel Weiss gets in for the favorite, or, you know, does Amy Adams come up to lead for backseat? Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns right now for certain films. And she could be crowded out. But boy, I'm I'm rooting for her for Tony Collette for to be able to get into the final five because she she gets into the final five she'll be formidable. I hear that. Uh, let's go around the horn one more time. Will, as of today, before the festivals chime in, what do you have in your number one spot for best picture right now? Personal or predictions? Actual predictions, sight unseen. Roma. Okay, you you're going with Roma, Katie. Hmm. I think Will's right. I think Roma's building up the steam it needs to get there michael i think roma's gonna have a good story to tell oh shit three for three tom all right i'll i'll mix it up i'm gonna say the favorite uh because it may uh, it, it, it its tone might be iffy you know because when you're, you're dealing with this director he's he's not everybody's cup of tea but i i can see this um appealing to a wider uh birth of voters i still have a star is born <laughs> <laughs> at least you're not with Widows anymore. I, I still have Widows getting a nomination. I want to be okay, clear about that. It used to be at your top. Well, the, now the problem with Widows for me is I don't know what else it wins because like, the, like very early on, I was like, oh, Viola Davis could win again. It could win screenplay, maybe editing, you know? And I started like trying to put together whatever wins that make a Best Picture winner as the season has started to evolve and slowly start to develop. Um, I noticed I started dropping it in a few places for a few other things, and then it just was like, oh, well, okay, this doesn't make sense anymore. I, I still believe it's going to be a contender, and it's not just a mainstream thriller. I mean, it will be a mainstream thriller, but I think it's going to be a mainstream thriller with prestige. So, actually, this is a good segue. Let's actually start talking about the festivals at this point, because... It's starting on Wednesday. Uh, Venice starts August 29th and runs until September 8th. Telluride will run over Labor Day weekend from August 31st till September 3rd. And we also then have the almighty Toronto Film Festival, <laughs> which, my God, it's going to it's going to last a, a few a few days. It will start on uh, September 6th, run until the 16th, and every film and creation is going to uh, play there for the most part. But for Venice, what we do know is we do know that they are going to have First Man. That'll be uh, the opening night film. We also know they're getting stuff like The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by Joel and Ethan Cohen, The Sisters Brothers by Jacques Adard, uh, Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's film, Suspiria by Luca Guadagnino, The Favorite from Yorgos Lanfermos, the new Mike Lee film, Peter Liu, A Star is Born. I mean, it's, there's a lot happening at Venice right now. And... I guess really, I mean, it's kind of silly for me to ask all of you, like, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, how can we, how can we know? 
we don't know how everything is going to be received. But what I'm actually more curious to know is that since Toronto seems to be playing everything, I'm actually curious to figure out if you guys have taken the time to kind of analyze what might be going to Telluride. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have done all my homework here. <laughs> yeah. So what did you come up with there, Michael? So breaking down what we have at Toronto, you can usually tell what's going to go to Telluride based on whether they call it a world premiere, North American premiere, Canadian premiere. Mm-hmm. So using those keys, I came up with a little list here of what we could expect to see at Telluride this weekend. And those titles include First Man, Can You Ever Forgive Me, The Old Man and the Gun, Roma, The Front Runner, White Boy Rick, and Cold War. Yeah. Those are the locks from what I could tell. And then there's a little bit of gray area surrounding a few titles, but they're still worth mentioning because I think they have a very good shot. Uh, the most prominent of them would be Destroyer, the Nicole Kidman film directed by Karen Kusama. Yeah. And if that does indeed play a Telluride, I can certainly see a world where she gets one of the tributes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's possible. And then that just pushes her yeah. best actress campaign forward from there. Okay, so front runner, Old Man in the Gun, Roma, First Man, Destroyer, The Favorite. No, not The Favorite. The Favorite's only Venice, uh, Telluride. Uh, I'm sorry, Venice, Toronto, and New York. No Telluride. Oh, okay, that's confirmed. Okay. Gotcha. Well, the reason why I ask all this is because Telluride has proven to be the launching ground for many of the major Oscar contenders. And lately, it seems to be that if you want your film to win Best Picture, you have to play a Telluride, or at least there's like some sort of a correlation there. Um, Which is one of the reasons I'm sticking with Roma. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Will, do you know offhand how many of the last Best Picture winners uh, played at Telluride? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you're the guy that would know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think all. For the like the last... Going back to No Country. No Country was the last one. Yeah, like the last 11 years. Yep, yep. Because when you remember the Hearth Locker, even though that opened in June, it played the festivals the year before. Can I put forth a narrative that sounds like it makes sense to me a little bit? And let me know what you all think of this. I've been wondering ever since... Well, I mean, ever since the project was announced um, and we even speculated about it early on, courtesy of Will Mavity over here, Jason Reitman's The Front Runner feels like a picture, screenplay, actor, maybe supporting actress for Vera Farmiga winner. Supporting actor for J.K. Simmons, possibly. I don't know but if he'll get a second one so soon. But a nomination. Oh Well, yeah, sure. Maybe that. But I, I mean, I, I'm just saying that, like, it also has a very politically theme that ties into current times. And I, I, I think that uh, the goodwill from Tully earlier this year, which was a respectable film for Reitman and the fact that he's um, there, there is this kind of like little narrative kind of building up for him as like this being a comeback year, so to speak, with him and the award season. Jackman's never won before. I don't know. I just feel like th- that has all the makings to be that film. It's up there. I definitely view that as what could be a top five contender. We yeah. just need to see I, how it actually plays. Whereas the only reason I pick something like Roma ahead of it is that that's going to be the film that gets a lot of tech nominations. It's going to have a huge push behind uh, or from Netflix behind it. And then it also has this socially relevant theme about, you know, immigrants yeah but it's it's not just immigrants it's both it's got the immigration and it also factors into a post me too movement narrative because it is described as a love letter to the matriarchy it is all about the important women 
that made the world possible in 1970s Mexico. So it's got two different boxes of political relevance it ticks off. And they're, and they're very big boxes, I think, among the uh, constituency of the academy. Uh, regarding uh, Frontrunner, I'm just curious to see whether film writers are going to pit the Frontrunner against Backseat mm. in a kind of rivalry, because they sound like they're going to be very different films. Yes. Well... And, and, and when in doubt, I would say go with who are they going to sympathize with more? Who are they going to feel sorry for more? Who are they going to like more as far as characters? I mean, Dick Cheney, it'll probably look at him with the occasional burst of sympathy, but it's probably going to portray him as largely a pretty despicable person. I can't imagine Adam McKay is getting ready for a Cheney love fest, whereas Gary Hart is somebody who, you know, people are going to be reminded, like, wow, this is so sad. This is a terrible thing that happened to someone who would have been a pretty good president, you know? Now, let's not forget that uh, AFI Fest is playing a little bit later in the year. It's early November. I think it's like November 8th to the 15th or something like that. Does anyone else believe that Backseat could show up at AFI? Oh, certainly. Sure, there's a big short did. So my my thinking behind this is I, I have this feeling that we, the Internet – are going to have this reaction when we see the first trailer for Backseat. It's going to be that reaction that we had when we first saw Gary Oldman in the full prosthetic makeup, and we're all just going to be like, whoa. Like, as soon as we see Christian Bale in the full getup, delivering the lines, and we get a glimpse of that performance, I could see us all knee-jerk being like, oh, they're definitely giving Christian Bale number two. They're, 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 oh, he's got this sewn up. He's got this locked and loaded. I, I could I could totally see us all reacting that way. Well, let's try not to be that internet person who's so <laughs> reactionary. I think there's totally a way to, like, we could look at it and be like, ooh, he looks good, but just yeah. like with Gary Oldman and the other one, it's like, oh, well, this is also a little bit of a, it's a little obvious in what they're going for. Well, because the way I see it right now is I don't think this is Ryan Gosling's year. Bradley Cooper, if they don't want to do picture and director actor feels the next most likely thing obviously in fact i think that's actually the thing they would go for even more so than picture and director for him hugh jackman though just something about hugh jackman is making sense to me like my spidey senses are tingling for some reason and i haven't even (laughs) seen anything to give me any indication otherwise i just have this like this weird gut feeling on the eve before phase one actually begins I have this feeling. Well, it's a very charismatic role. I mean, Gary Hart was like that as a person. So you have this actor who just exudes charm in all of his other roles. You put him in this, I guess you call it a period drama. Yeah, it was like 30-some years ago. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. You put him in that, in a big Oscar contender, and, excuse the pun, but he could be a front runner. <laughs> uh, the favorite and the front runner are going to be our favorite puns and a star is born just uh, <laughs> this season that's for sure will you're notorious for having the gut feeling that somehow pans out um throughout the year on the eve of the festivals what is the gut feeling that you have at this time mm-hmm. something random that's gonna happen either or it could be it could be either something succeeding or if you want to predict something to fail yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about what we think is going to underwhelm because there's uh, a number. I don't think First Man's going to be a big contender for a win, maybe in sound editing. I think it might get a nomination. Apparently, it's it's been recut a little bit since the initial round of test screenings. 
So I think that I, I'm I'm very concerned about Beautiful Boy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Same. I'm actually getting concerned about Boy Erased as well. Well, we were concerned about that, and then the trailer came out, and we're like, oh, it looks really good, and then now we're getting concerned again. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what a trailer could do, right? Those damn marketing people, they know how to work their magic, but the feeling is still there. Matt, what has you most concerned about Beautiful Bo- or Boy Erased? God, those are... <sighs> I can't help but feel like some of the noise that Chloe Grace uh, Moretz tried to start up during the campaign trail for Cameron Post might actually be something that a few critics who get to see it at these um, uh, festival screenings, they, they might they might latch on to that. And that might become part of the story, so to speak, which gives them the ammunition to maybe take it down a notch. Yeah. Yeah, actually that's that's interesting. I was thinking almost every one of the potential major contenders has a think piece narrative waiting in the corner to take it down, if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, like you think about it, it's like first man is too detached, so star is born is too Oscar-y, the favorite is well, too no, weird. No, it's not just that. They'll they'll argue even though it's a remake, they'll be like, Look at this story about this 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 man um, you know, it might be a remake, but it's uh, the, this this male who's stepping in and allowing a, a woman uh, to make her way there. You know, he's he, he could be perceived as sexist. Well, the the thing that we have to like try and keep in mind, I think, and I think that we saw this last year. I mean, we see this every year now that I'm thinking about it. Every film last year, with the exception of. Oh, well, actually, no. And yeah, literally every film up for Best Picture last year had something. There was some sort of a think piece. There was some sort of a nagging little thing in the back of everyone's mind that made everyone doubt if that would actually be the thing that would pull it off with The Shape of Water. It was fish fucking. With Get Out, it was the horror <laughs> genre biasness. Mm-hmm. With yep. Dunkirk, it was the emotional detachment. With Lady Bird, it was this whole thing about poverty. Um, there was a lot of things last year for every single film. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. What's going to be interesting to see is which one of these actually catches on. I I mean, no matter what happens, there's going to be a piece being written about everything one way or another. It's just more of which ones do the academies, uh, which one do the Academy members turn a blind eye to and which ones do they um, totally shun out. And that's why it should have been the post. Well, the post also had some things against it too. I must be totally blanking. I don't remember anything about that. Yeah, it wasn't that good. Boom. One note about Boy Erased. I, you know, when I saw the trailer, I know people were raving about the trailer. And I watched the trailer, and my initial feeling is like, I know exactly every beat that's going to be going on in this story. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe looks like he's the serious version of the John Lithgow minister in Footloose. Yeah. You know, shaking <laughs> his finger at everybody. Uh, it's it just seems so pat to me. Uh, and and I, 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 Hedges looks good. And that is the one part of the his relation, his growing Attraction and relationship is one thing that I might be fresh and new, but uh, I, I, I'm really rather concerned about it. Well, 
Lucas Hedges is also going to be appearing in a film called Ben is Back, which is playing actually at the Toronto Film Festival. There was a teaser release for that this week, but we're not actually going to discuss the teaser because uh, we do believe that there is a full trailer coming for another time. But I do want to just put a little bit of a break into this conversation. Believe me when I tell you, we'll come back to it in just a little bit. I want to talk about the trailer that we are reviewing for this week's show. And that is a film from Netflix that will be premiering at the Toronto Film Festival. It's directed by David McKenzie, who uh, two years ago gave us Hell or High Water. It's starring Chris Pine and Florence Pugh from uh, people might remember her from Lady Macbeth. It is called Outlaw King. Let's take a look. Thinking about revenge. Where's Robert? Where's your husband? It tears out the soul. Where's your brother? But it can also be a weapon. I'm done with running and I'm sick of hiding. Power is making decisions. And whatever course you are charting, I choose you, my husband. We need to unite Scotland. Robert the Bruce is an outlaw. Any man or woman who would give shelter to him or his ranks is to be executed without trial. The people are desperate for justice. I serve Robert Bruce. Join us to free our lives. I have 50 men to fight the strongest dog in the world. This is how we do it. Take the land back, castle by castle. We could fight for God. For country. For family. I do not care. So long as you fight! Yikes. Yeah, right? I yeah. I was very underwhelmed by this, and that was very upsetting to me because, you know, like on one hand, you know, Tom, talk about a story I feel like I know every single beat for. I, I definitely felt that while watching this uh, trailer, and I typically tend to like the medieval epics. Like, I love stuff like Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven, but I don't know if it's just because the cinematography underwhelmed me or what but something about this just wasn't clicking i really hate to say it but for me it was a it's it's all chris pine oh geez it's all chris pine like and i love him don't get me wrong i love him as an actor and he can be really great and stuff it's his birthday today but in this <laughs> he's he can't get a scottish accent for the life of him first of all and that's kind of important and the director of this is scottish so that i was pretty excited about but yeah he just looks really tired hmm Throughout the whole thing. He's just like, ugh, again? I don't wanna. And that was <laughs> so everything else is dragged down by that. And maybe that was a choice the director wanted. I don't know. But now there there is something to be said how a film like Robin Hood, the new Robin Hood with Taron Egerton, okay? There's something to be said for that kind of a medieval epic 
or whatever the hell that movie is. I still kind of don't know what kind of movie that is, to be honest with you. <laughs> but there's something to be said for that kind of a vision and then the kind of vision that we're getting with this. But my belief is that this is less Gladiator and more Ridley Scott Robin Hood, a.k.a. Stinker. Yeah, but also, at least that movie had good production values. This looks like it has the same production values. No? They spent $120 million on this. It looks cheap. The costumes look cheap. I mean, the camera work, as you, as you mentioned, the, the cinematography looks cheap. If you're going to have a medieval film, don't have Barry Aykroyd shoot it. He's really good for, you know, I'm in contemporary streets or war films. Don't have him shoot a period piece. Maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what he knows is handheld. Mm. and murky mm. lighting and you maybe, know maybe the battle scenes then you know with him getting up close with the camera during the fight scenes maybe we'll see some of that magic play out there but <clears throat> i don't know yeah when i when i was watching this i'm getting a vibe i think what does this remind me of and of <laughs> <Braveheart>. all things <laughs> it reminded me of the great wall oh man oh no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah you plunk that you plunk an american star in this you know, huge, overly huge uh, setting. And it just, it just felt empty to me. And it especially well, sucks because the story is a big part of Scottish history. It's important to them. Like this is a big thing and it's, it deserved a lot. Is there, it deserved to be a lot more interesting because the actual story is very interesting. Does anyone want to see Ben Foster do a Scottish accent too? Oh because God. No. He, they were they were hiding him, and he's a major character in this film. The fact they hid him entirely from the trailer makes me think that it's it's something very bad. On the plus side, Game of Thrones fans, it looks a lot like a slightly less well executed episode of Thrones, and it's got a slew of supporting um, Game of Thrones actors in it. Stannis Baratheon and Jor Mormont are both in the cast. So. Woo! That's something. How how amazing is it that the actor who plays uh, Jorah Mormont, um, I can't remember his name, but he actually had a supporting part in Braveheart as well. James uh, James Cosmo, that's his name. Mm-hmm. Here's what we have to remember about this, though. This movie is opening up Toronto. The Toronto opener is never very good. No, Magnificent <laughs> Seven, The Fifth Estate. It's like, ooh! You know what's funny, though? I, I, I didn't love those movies. Like, they didn't make my like my top 10 or anything like that. I didn't think they were like outright horrible movies though. Well, if you want an outright horrible Toronto opener, look no further than 2014 with The Judge. Uh, Academy Award nominee, The Judge. Don't remind me that horrific movie. Oh man. (laughs) Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss... These movies could be new, or old, or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher! And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right, I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiature shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder shut who the cat can God damn it, shut up. up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the Let's talk about the polls, which will bring us back to the festival talk. Because for this week's poll, 
we actually asked the question, which fall festival Oscar contender are you most looking forward to? So we had a couple of choices listed here. At Eternity's Gate, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, If Beale Street Could Talk, Beautiful Boy, Boy Erased, Can You Ever Forgive Me, Destroyer, The Favorite, First Man, The Front Runner, Mary Queen of Scots, The Old Man and the Gun, Roma, A Star is Born, Suspiria, Widows, and there's also a write-in option as well. So, Michael, of all the movies that are probably coming to the fall film festivals, which one are you most looking forward to? I am most looking forward to A Star is Born because I'm so interested in seeing what Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga are doing with the story that's already been told three times and then interpreted in other films. You know, this is a story that he could play out over any piece of the entertainment world, whether it's film, Broadway, music, whatever. And I appreciate that they're putting it in a modern context here. I'm not really a fan of country music or the type of music that they seem to be portraying, but I like the actor so much and the story is timeless. And in anticipation for this movie, I've actually gone back and I'm watching all three previous versions of A Star is Born Again. And, you know, each one of them has some defining characteristic, and I hope this continues the trend. Okay, Katie. Oh, the favorite, 100%. That's the one I'm the most looking forward to. You like your period pieces. I do love my period pieces. You know this, Matt. This one's got a unique spin on it with your ghost yes. the most behind it. So. And it's got... English queens and lesbians and court intrigue and for and Yorgos Lanthimos directing it. So and fisheye lenses. Right? And you know it's going to be weird. That guy does weird better than a lot of people out there. So I'm looking forward to that one. I keep saying I think he's the new David Lynch of our time. I would agree. Uh, so we'll see if that continues to play out. It's a good comparison. Tom? I'm bursting at the seams to see Roma. Gosh, after that first long trailer, those images just my jaw dropped. And uh, I don't, I'm hoping to find, hopefully it'll play at a theater on a big enough screen, uh, since I'm not going to be able to get to a festival, to uh, really show uh, what uh, Cuarón has uh, got up his sleeve. Uh, This is just something I'm salivating for. Uh, And yes, a star is born. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Will? Yes, some combination of the ones that have already been said. I want to have something you guys haven't already said, so... I'm going to throw the front runner out there because that is such a relevant topic. And I've been excited about seeing the story on screen for ages. Really like the co-writer of the film and author of the book. It's based on Matt Vi. If my heart is being honest, it's a star is born in no small part, though, because I want the soundtrack. I, I definitely want the soundtrack in my life. There's only so many times I can sing. Baby, it's time to let the old ways die. And then it's like, what's the rest? I need to know the yeah. rest. Here, it's <laughs> funny. You that's... keep singing that song. And ever since I watched the 54 version this week, I've been whistling Born in a Trunk. So <laughs> everyone has their Star is Born song that stays in their mind. Uh, for me, it's Widows because I- I've I've connected so much to Steve McQueen's first three films. I think 12 Years a Slave is one of the best Best Picture winners of all time. And I'm really, really, really curious to see this looking like his most commercial feature, how much that mixes in with the style that he's already established, and if he can really go four for four. So, I don't know. Time will tell. Ben Affleck didn't go four for four after his Oscar win, so 
Maybe the same is going to happen with Steve McQueen. Maybe not. But there's a lot of elements involved there with Gillian Flynn writing the screenplay with that predominantly female cast led by the great Viola Davis. I, I am very, very, very much looking forward to hearing about that one. Now, let's take another little bit of a break. Let's discuss last week's poll, which pertained to not an Oscar film, The Happy Time Murders. Not an Oscar film at all. (laughs) No, no, please no. A very bad film. So the question that we asked for last week's uh, poll was, which is your favorite movie or franchise that features puppets? The choices were Animalisa, The Beaver, Being John Malkovich, The Dark Crystal, Dead Silence, Labyrinth, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Jurassic Park, Little Shop of Horrors, Meet the Feebles, The Muppets, Puppet Master, Star Wars, Team America World Police, and there was also a write-in option as well. Tom, what would have been your choice and which one do you think actually won? Uh, let's see. I, I My guess is that Yoda probably won. <laughs> um, but uh, for my choice, I would I would have voted for the first Muppet movie because I found myself sitting in a theater watching puppets with tears coming down my face, and I'm thinking this is the this is the I don't want anyone to see me. But I was just just so moved by how well how emotional the puppet story uh, the Muppet story. Um, was and so uh, I have never forgotten that very embarrassing day, but I cherish it because that film just did something to me that I never expected. Okay, Michael. So as for what I think is going to win, knowing our readership, I'm going to go with Anomalisa as the winner. But as for my personal pick, I'm going to go with the Muppet option. Specifically, though, as much as I adore the Muppet movie, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm going to give the slight edge to the Muppets Take Manhattan, which I think is, in addition to being a great comedy, really great use of the Muppets, putting them in a real world context. Great celebrity guest stars from like Joan Rivers to uh, Lonnie Price, the great uh, Broadway director who worked with Sondheim years ago. Uh, And then it just, you know, it sort of ends the Muppet movie franchise uh, that was cut too short by Jim Henson's passing. I just adore that movie and think it's some of the great puppet work of all time. Katie. Well, my personal choice would be Labyrinth because I think it's so amazing and fun. And I actually never watched it until I was 20. So it is not something I grew up with. But I think, and funny, funny uh, info here the director, Brian Henson of The Happy Time Murders, uh, played Hoggle in Labyrinth. So. I was like, oh, you've really gone downhill since then. <laughs> um, but I think <laughs> I'm guessing Star Wars is is the is the popular pick because like Tom said, Yoda. <laughs> Will? I'm not even gonna go with what I think one. Instead, I'm just going to put out a plea to the universe to somehow rewrite the results to make Team America the winner. Because in a fair and just world, that is the only acceptable winner here. <laughs> Team America is pretty funny. It's really so funny. Well? Oh my god! No, that movie's just so funny. Absolutely funny. hysterical. I've seen it a lot Ghost to work. know at least two songs. <laughs> Earl Harbor sucked. And, and by I the way, Team, Ar- Team America do, 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 do. is produced by Scott Rudin. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, 
Scott Rudin's got his name on everything, honestly. All right. Well, in fifth place, with 10 votes, Gremlins. In fourth place, we have a tie between being John Malkovich and the Muppets franchise. In third place, with 13 votes, we have Labyrinth. In second place, with 21 votes, we have Jurassic Park. And in first place, you all predicted it, the Star Wars franchise with 23 votes. So Anomalisa wasn't even near the top. Nope. Wow. You surprised me, readers. And Michael, I don't know what that means when you say (laughs) you think our readers would have picked Anomalisa. I myself picked Anomalisa. (laughs) I just know so many people love Charlie Kaufman. And whenever they see his name, they get a little too excited. Well, being John Malkovich cracked a top five. Okay. I loved Anomalisa as well. I thought yeah, that was, yeah. I think that <laughs> puppet wise, the best done, like the most skillful. That movie's so depressing. It's really good. It's so depressing. Oh my god. <laughs> it totally. So a couple of a couple of write-ins actually that I thought were pretty interesting that I do want to just throw out there really quick, and I am going to take full fault for this. Yes, it was a complete oversight on my part that E.T. was not a part of the wow. choices. I I totally, totally, totally skipped that out, and that is totally my fault. I apologize. So everyone that wrote in E.T., I applaud you. Matt hates heartwarming aliens. Yeah, <laughs> um, that deserved to be in the list, and that was totally my fault. I also want to commend the person who wrote in to us um, – Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. Dracula. That is awesome. <laughs> oh, that was so good. And then uh, this one, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Of course. That. Wait, you don't know Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Nope. Tom Stoppard plays based on the characters play. from Hamlet. Are you kidding, man? No, I've never. No, I haven't seen that Have one. Have you read Hamlet? Uh, yeah, I've read Hamlet. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, the famous characters from Hamlet. Tom Stoppard, the famed playwright from the mid-20th century, wrote a very famous play about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and then that was turned into a film. That's one of the most famous plays of the 20th century. You've never heard of that play? No, I've, I, I, I have. i just never seen the movie. Uh, Gary Oldman and Tim Roth. We also could have, uh, I was thinking, if we really, you know, since we had Anomalisa, we could argue that most stop motion films use puppets and some of Leica's stuff definitely could have continued here, I would argue. Yeah, Coraline, Kubo. I'm also going to say we didn't really consider it, but although they use CGI about half the time, uh, Small Soldiers would have been a good one. Mm. Well, the poll is now in the past, as is the expectations, hopes, and dreams for any... Any smidge of success for the Happy Time Murders. I believe we have two people right now on the show who had the pleasure, humiliation, I don't know what to call it, (laughs) a chance to see the film. And before we segue into the news for the weekend, wrap up this episode, I want to give the floor to Michael and Katie. What did you guys think of the Happy Time Murders this week? Uh, Katie, would you like to start? Sure, I can dig into this a little bit. Um, So the good about that movie is the puppet the puppeteering and how they filmed it is phenomenal. Like they deserve all the props for that, but everything else is terrible. (laughs) It's just so 
predictable and Melissa McCarthy is just not very interesting and the script is uh, that's all I could give it and I walked out I was like well that was I saw that yeah so what did you think Michael I pretty much agree with you the puppet work is very well done but you wouldn't expect anything less coming from the Henson name right it looked like they had a nice time filming it like everyone seemed happy in those bloopers that go on for all the credits that was my favorite part of the movie. Those last two, three minutes of credits. That was the part I was like, oh, this is great. Cool. Look how they did that. Yeah, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Too bad the movie's actually over. Right, uh, exactly. So that, was dis- that was good. The rest of the movie, you know, it's one joke. The only joke is that it's raunchy puppets. And that one joke isn't really that funny. No. All they do is spend so much time trying to be crass and crude that they forget to put an actual story in there. And then in like the last 15 minutes when they try to just insert something for the sake of it, it's predictable. It doesn't go anywhere. And the movie itself, aside from the puppets, it looks really, really cheap. Right. And the, you know, I saw someone on Twitter talking about who framed Roger Rabbit and how this seemed similar to that. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is this is if who framed Roger Rabbit had just been the first five minutes of the movie over and over and over and over and over again. Like the animate the the dirty animation in it is just kind of like that's how they're telling the story, but there's an actual story in there that's not amazing, but it's still fun and silly and enjoyable on many more levels than the Happy Time Murders. So not a if good you like movie. puppeteering, go see it. Otherwise don't. <laughs> okay. And Will Mavity. Catch us up on what went down this week in Hollywood. I think the biggest thing we have to discuss is Danny Boyle is out from James Bond. Yeah. So there's a, a big question right now. The film was supposed to start shooting in a couple months in order to make its November 2019 release date, I believe. Or is it 2020? Uh, it was supposed it's, – it's next year, right? It's supposed to come 2019, yeah, November 2019. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to start shooting in a couple months to make a release date that's just over a year away. And they've lost Danny Boyle. And if they've lost Danny Boyle, it means they've probably lost Danny Boyle's script, which means they are back to ground zero. So there's a big question of are they going to use the script by Purvis and Wade or are they just going to delay the film and start from the ground up and Daniel Craig is not getting any younger out of curiosity, what does everyone? What would everyone like to happen here? Who would you like to take over, et cetera, et cetera? I've been seeing a lot of pieces over the last week, ever since this news was announced. One written by our own Josh Parm. Yeah, well, that was a different type of piece. That was about directors to continue the franchise. But there have been other pieces of people saying, "Oh, they should just end the Bond franchise now." You know, it's getting no. old and it's getting stale. Well, I've seen these pieces. Oh, I'm not saying I agree entirely? with them. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty terrible idea because just because there was one hiccup in Spectre. Did everyone forget how great Skyfall was? And let's not forget, Quantum of Solace fell between Casino Royale and Skyfall, lest we forget. You could still have a great Bond movie. You just need to have talented people behind it. Yeah. So I think if they're able to get it in production soon, this could be Daniel Craig's final outing. That would be all well and good. But if they need to bring in a quick replacement director, maybe go with someone like Suzanne Beer or uh, Joe Wright, you know, a British uh, director who knows what they're doing and knows how to work on a large-scale, big-budget production. Uh, Will, who did you mention last week as someone who would be really good? 
Oh, it wasn't someone I necessarily thought would be really good. I could see them taking someone like James Marsh. Yes, James Marsh. That's yeah. He's he, you know, he's he's a competent British director who's proved he's got a decent visual eye with the theory of everything. And he'll probably be a yes man if the issue they ran into was someone like Boyle bringing too distinctive a style. Am I the only one that wants to see Martin Campbell just be brought back? I think he's still in movie jail, honestly. Because of the Green Lantern? Yeah. yeah that, that'll that take a while to... to it's pretty weird, because if you think about it, he it, GoldenEye was a great Bond reboot with Pierce Brosnan, and then Casino Royale was excellent. And he's got those two films to his name, and The Mask of Zorro is pretty damn good. But yep. if you look at the rest of his career, it's like, ooh, like Green Lantern, Vertical Limit, The Legend well, of Zorro. Well, my thing is this, is that... <sighs> I would I would personally want Joe Wright. That's that's who I would personally want. I don't think that's going to happen, but I feel that he's got the visual panache that someone like a Sam Mendes could bring to it. He's shown that he could do action with stuff like Hannah before, so he's British. And we'll just forget Pan. Yeah. I mean, he's also kind of hit a rebound with Darkest Hour last year. And, I, you know, granted, he gave a lot of interviews saying that he felt like he found his, you know— found his groove back with that kind of a movie because he was trying to do things that were going against his artistic sensibilities, I guess you could say, with things like Pan. So I don't know if he would be so willing to want to jump back into stuff like, you know, a Bond franchise, but I still think he could pull it off. Yeah, I think he could. I, I'm more of an anarchist. I'd love to be able to have this um, this franchise shaken up a little bit more. So a director that I think would last even sh- in a shorter period of time than Danny Boyle uh, is another right. I would love to see Edgar Wright take a look. Because he has such a good track record with franchises. I know, but <laughs> I'm just I'm fascinated by by his work. Yeah, no, it would, it would be a good movie. I just don't know that he would be able to be the yes man that they're probably looking no, for. No, 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 no. I, I, I estimate a week on <laughs> before he's fired. <laughs> I think it would be like one conversation at the end of it. They'd be like, thank you for your time. Thank you. No. <laughs> as much as I'd like to see it too. I think it'd be fun to shake up the the Bond franchise and see someone. I'd love to see them go in a crazy direction and have someone like Catherine Bigelow or Mimi Leader or someone like that be given an opportunity to push the series in a new direction. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll probably go to more workman, work, you know, like a journeyman director that they will yeah. can easily be made to do what they want. Yeah. Nancy Myers presents James Bond. Yes. Oh, but- There's one piece of news that I think we really do need to discuss. And Will, I'm sure you have it on your list too. And that is the sudden passing of Craig Zayden. Yeah. Michael, I mean, you knew the most about Zayden. Why don't you kind of share a little bit about his legacy? Okay, so Craig Zayden and Neil Marin were pair producers who, since the mid-1980s, or going back even uh, before that, they started on Broadway, where Craig Zayden was a Broadway historian. He has a famous book called Sondheim and Company. And their goal was to make musical entertainment and Broadway as accessible as possible for people around the world. Like, they knew that not everyone would be able to get to New York and see a show, so they were going to bring the show to their television or to their movie theaters. And they founded Storyline Entertainment, which sadly just changed their name three weeks ago to Marin and Zayden Productions. So that's really a tragic thing to happen so soon. But their work 
across Broadway, television, and film really helped revive the movie musical genre. Just name a few of their projects that will be uh, well-remembered. The original Footloose with Kevin Bacon, Chicago, which won Best Picture, the first musical since Oliver in 1968 to do so, Hairspray with John Travolta and Christopher Walken and Michelle Pfeiffer from 2007. They did The Bucket List with Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. But then over on the television side, they had all those NBC live musicals like The Sound of Music, Peter Pan, The Wiz. Uh, back in 93, they did Gypsy with Bette Midler, Cinderella with Bernadette Peters and Whitney Houston. Lots of great things over the years. And since we're an Oscar podcast, we should mention that they did three Oscar telecasts from 2012 to 2014. Those were some of the classiest I've ever seen, actually. Right. That Those were the years that they had uh, Bette, Midler and Bernadette, or Bette Midler and Barbara Streisand perform the In Memoriam. They had Ellen, Seth MacFarlane, and Neil Patrick Harris as hosts. It was the selfie year. You know, they know how to put on a big show. So to have like one half of that duo gone now, so suddenly he died from complications of shoulder replacement surgery. You know, that's just a really, really big loss for the industry. And it was so sad since he had just done Jesus Christ Superstar Live on NBC and was so happy that he was probably about to win his first Emmy. Yeah. So massive loss for the industry. I don't know if we'll ever see another like Craig Zayden again, who goes all the way back to the 70s and has that Broadway legacy. But boy, were we lucky to have him for as many years as we did. Yeah, his version of Gypsy totally rocked my world at I don't know, eight when I watched it, a very inappropriate age to watch that one. But I I still love it, even though I know it's not the best version. Hey, uh, Beth Midler was a great Mama Rose. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was. So rest in peace, Craig Zayden. I hope Neil Maron can continue on with uh, bringing the legacy of movie musicals to people's homes. And maybe he works with Mark Platt or another well-known Broadway producer. I just hope he can continue on because people really respond to his work. And, and I hope he wins that Emmy. Yes. If he wins the Emmy, that'll also be what completes John Legend's EGOT. So a bit of a bittersweet situation there. Yeah. Not just John Legend, but also Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, too. Yes. They all become yeah. EGOTs. All right. So some additional news. There's some fun pieces of casting this week. John Lithgow is going to be playing Roger Ailes in the ever-increasing cast of... Fair and balanced. Of uh, yeah, fair and balanced. Jay Roach's Fox News sex harassment film. Twenty nineteen's The Post. Well, I, but I think it's going to because it's Jay Roach. I think it's going to have a different tone than The Post, and uh, I don't know if it's going to be as stoic necessarily, which means it might end up being a bigger hit. But I mean, honestly, The Post had a good cast. This cast is going to be even better. I mean. Uh, Jeff Snyder says reportedly Allison Janney and Kate McKinnon are in talks to join a cast that already includes Charlize Theron, John Lithgow, Nicole Kidman. Who's the other one? Who am I forgetting? Margot Robbie. I mean, this, this cast is insane. So between this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, next year's SAG ensemble races are going to be just stacked. <laughs> Yes. So and actually, I should mention once upon a time in Hollywood, just added another interesting name to the cast. And that's Lena Dunham. So I saw that. That is so interesting. And apparently, you know, do you think Tarantino is like very, very self-aware of the people like like he like he just doesn't give a fuck like who he casts? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Linda Dunham said there are people like, it seems like your casting was a direct a, a response to the Tarantino fanboys, a direct attack on Tarantino fanboys. And Dunham said, yeah, that's kind of my brand. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's very funny that she's cast in this movie because last year on FX, the show American Horror Story Cult, their whole season was about like people, a cult related to the election and Trump. But then there was an episode about the Manson murders. She wasn't in that one. She was in one that came after that. And she played Valerie Solanas. So I don't know if she's part of the Manson cult in this movie, but it would just be really funny to see her go from Valerie Solanas to one of the Manson people. Another interesting bit of news. For those who were hoping the Russo brothers were going to keep directing Marvel forever, it looks like probably the Avengers Infinity War 2 is going to be their last Marvel adventure, at least for a while. They've started a new production company where they want to specialize in grounded indie dramas. And if we think about them, until they did Captain America the Winter Soldier, what they specialized in was comedies and low-budget dramas. Uh, you know, they, they co-founded Community with Dan Harmon. They did Weirdly Me and Dupree. But they also had some good small independent films back in the day. And it looks like what they're going to be directing is an adaptation of one of the most popular books on the market right now. I would say keep an eye on it because the, the novel is cherry and it is all over the New York Times, Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, Mother Jones. Everybody's giving it across the board raves for its quote unquote authentic voice, not unlike Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, the author actually wrote it from prison. He was a Midwesterner who went off to serve in Iraq, came back with PTSD. The system failed him. He started using heroin and he started robbing banks to pay for his heroin addiction. And it's, you know, he went to prison. So that's the kind of story. It's another one of those oh, this is middle America. They're trying to understand what makes those people tick right now. It's being described as the first great novel of the opioid crisis. And Joe and Peter Russo, who are themselves from Ohio, where the book takes place, are going to be directing that as the result of a million-dollar bidding war, which the author has had trouble doing because he keeps running out of his prison phone minutes. So keep an eye on that. Um, Ben Foster, I mentioned he is in Outlaw King. I keep waiting for him to get the good role that's going to be his Oscar nomination. Should have been Hell or High Water, but... We thought it would be Leave No Trace. Yeah, and it's not going to be Leave No Trace. So now he is leading a film literally just called Medieval. I guess he's going to be carving out a niche playing European medieval war characters which is a little odd because he's not british czech or anything but this one is about a apparently national czech hero called zizika who armed in who raised an army of peasants to defeat the nobles so who knows maybe that'll be interesting but that's his next big film it's going to be a european big budget project um, did we know that Peter Jackson directed a big World War One documentary this year that is premiering at the London Film Festival? No. Nope. I didn't know Peter Jackson directed anything, but it's apparently a massive documentary in keeping with his desire to push boundaries. The entire documentary is going to be in 3D. <laughs> I'm, yeah, 
I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be good because we all know he's been very hit or miss, mainly miss since he finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But I am a little bit intrigued. The documentary race is probably too stacked for something like this to get in. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on it because, you know, when Jackson was on, he was very on. And I'm a little intrigued, especially because it's World War One. We don't really we do a lot of World War Two, not a lot of World War One. A24 doesn't really have that much on its plate this year. It's got 8th grade, it's got hereditary, and it's got first reformed and maybe mid-90s, none of which seem like guaranteed Best Picture nominees or really guaranteed anything nominees. They just picked up Sebastian Lelio, who you know from Disobedience this year and uh, for the Oscar-winning Fantastic Woman last year. He's... Gloria Bell, which is a remake of one of his previous films, actually. This one stars Julianne Moore, has been picked up by A24, supposedly for a 2019 release. We'll see but about that. Yeah. We, I think most of us have discussed off air that we think, you know what, this is probably going to end up going as a 2018 release if it gets good reviews at Toronto with like a December 25th qualifying release date. So I, I think they're probably just waiting to see how it plays on the festivals. And if it's good, why not release it this year and throw Julianne Moore back into the acting races? Yeah, the original Gloria is so great. And Paulina Garcia should have been in the Best Actress conversation back in 2013. The, the role gives an actress the goods. And if an actress is as good as Julianne Moore, I included her in this week's Best Actress blog, only only on the uh, the hunch that I think we all have that it will get a, a enough of a, a limited release uh, or qualifying release um, to uh, make it uh, be part of the uh, conversation. But this this could be a sleeper. This is not coming out this year, but it's worth noting that insane cast of Greta Gerwig's Little Women Lost Emma Stone, and in a bit of reverse La La Land karma, has been replaced by Emma Watson. Emma Watson's and, very good. I don't think she always gets the credit she really deserves. She's she's good. She's not very good because I yeah, I have failed to see her in that very good movie or role yet. Beauty and the Beast 2017. Should have been a Golden Globe oh nominee. My, I'm, I, no. Michael, you're getting me angry again. <laughs> Michael, I'm over here clapping. <gasps> Katie, no! How dare you betray me? <laughs> I don't know what to think. Hey, I watched Beauty and the Beast at a very young age, and it had an effect on me. That's all I can say. And seeing yeah, a, a 1992 version, not a 2017, 16, whatever which year. Which was that, almost as good. God damn it. It's, you know, I, I like Emma Watson a lot. She's, I think she's very good as Hermione, and that's, of course, how we all know her. And I I didn't care for the Beast representation, but I was all about her bell. Just just saying her best her best role is perks of, perks of being a wallflower that's good but i'm telling you the bling ring is really great the, the bling ring was i was see her film. really working in this yeah uh okay so there's only one more piece of news and that is guardian that guardians of the galaxy has entirely been put on hold you know they Jesus. have told crew members that they are free to go and find other work you want to talk about a franchise potentially being dead like bond okay this, I, I'm telling, I, I told you all the best thing they could do is just not release a movie. And I get it for financial reasons. They want to release the movie and they want to get it going. I get it. But I don't know. Like, who wants to touch this project at this point? 
Well, well, Marvel does. I mean, they still, that is a cash cow for them. And it's hard for Marvel to let it go. As you saw, Marvel was not the ones who made the decision to fire James Gunn. Marvel had presumably, since as we've seen, they've been planning far ahead for how they're going to release certain movies and how certain characters are going to factor into future ensemble pieces. You know, they they went and made a last minute petition to Disney to rehire James Gunn because Marvel wants James Gunn and Marvel wants the Guardians movies to keep going. Uh, obviously, the Guardians have a role to play in future Avengers films, so that that's who wants it to keep going. And that's why I do think they're going to take a couple years off, but they're not going to let them die. I think they're just going to – it is too much of a cash cow. They're going to let the controversy die down, and then in a couple years, Nicole Perlman or Taika Waititi or someone will make another film. Alternatively, they'll just combine some of the Guardians characters with Thor since they basically killed off every supporting Thor character in the last couple of movies, there's really no one to carry that franchise other than Thor himself. And he's already teamed up with Guardians to lump those guys together. I mean, yeah, that's potentially what could happen to sell tickets. But I honestly believe, and we're talking Marvel fanboys here, they don't forget. So the idea that this controversy will go away and they'll announce something like that, like, oh, Thor is coming to the Guardians of the Galaxy universe for a standalone film. Mm, they're not going to forget this. Okay, I just and Dave Batista will keep this alive in terms of the controversy. Oh, one more thing. I've been waiting for official confirmation for this for over a month now, and we finally got it. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score Jonah Hill's mid-90s, and apparently their score is really good. And so if that film is, in fact, really good, I mean, A24 is releasing it, but it can't crack into screenplay or something – you know, that might be a great place to reward it by nominating those two previous winners for original score. Only one nomination and one win for the social network. I don't like their odds, but I agree. They are always contenders anytime their name pops up for a project. Mm -hmm. Right. It's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I mean, whew, those two can make some perfect music together. Okay. All right. Well, with that said, that'll put a wrap on episode 105. I do ask everyone to join us next week for episode 106, which is celebrating Next Best Picture's two-year anniversary. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Yay! Michael and Will, two years. Amazing. Remember the good old days when it was just the three of us? I do. I was yelling at Michael every Back week. Back when we used to have podcast reviews and news in one long episode. Oh, my God. I know. They were like two and a half hours long. My my Sunday mornings were wrecked. Yeah, I remember. I definitely remember. We have evolved a lot since then, and we hope that everybody will join us for that episode next week as it will be definitely a cause for celebration here at Next Best Picture. And we'll also have a lot to talk about with our first batch of news from films that have screened at both Telluride and at Venice. So be on the lookout for that. With that said, Michael Schwartz, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. And also, before I go, I know that I had mentioned Neil Simon before. Uh, very sad that he passed away. But also, just a quick shout-out to two American heroes who have been in the news over the past 24 hours. Uh, one, very sad that we lost John McCain, an honorable man and American hero, no matter your politics. I just want to give him a shout-out. And also, happy 100th birthday to Katherine Johnson from NASA, who was portrayed by Taraji P. Henson in the film Hidden Figures. Yeah, 100 years old. Wow, that's amazing. So a salute to all of them. 
All right. Will, where can they find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Katie? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And Tom, it was such a pleasure having you on for the first episode, first time ever. We really, really appreciate having you a part of the team over here at Next Best Picture. Tell all of our wonderful listeners where they can find you on the internet. You can find my news articles at goldderby.com. You can find my reviews at exactchangetoday.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Thomas E. O'Brien. And it's been a pleasure today. And I'm exhausted. Uh, i am matt neglia you can find me at next best picture and i don't know where i get the energy to do this all the time but here i am (laughs) you can subscribe to the next best picture podcast on itunes soundcloud google play stitcher tune in player fm and also on Castbox. be sure to leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think of the show we appreciate your feedback but we also appreciate your support So, by all means, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you get some exclusive podcast content from us, some of which we're going to have a review this week of The Silence of the Lambs that was voted on by you guys for us to review. We also have our second podcast for Shop Objects coming your way, and we also have some other goodies in store as well. So, be on the lookout for those all from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening. We shall see you all next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.